what I've been doing with colleagues is trying to see which other FDA-approved drugs can be used immediately in a clinical trial based on a geroscience-guided approach. We identified all the FDA-approved trials that also had at least one longevity testing. And we looked at all the preclinical data in animals and the lifespan data in animals to uh, assess the hallmarks and have a a geroscience understanding that those drugs are doing something that are geroscientific and and then look at all the human data in order to rank them. Okay, if it was the next three studies, who, who would you study? And for the human studies, we looked at health span, meaning we looked at the effects of drugs beyond one disease, which were they're designed to, okay? Did they have effect on other age-related disease? And also on mortality. Did they have effect on mortality? Did they have effect on mortality that is not related to this specific disease? This is a conversation with Nia Barzilai on TAME. Nia Barzilai, professor at the Albert Einstein School of Medicine and director of the Institute for Aging Research, presents the current state of the groundbreaking Targeting Aging with Metformin, or short, TAME trial. It serves as a data springboard for the whole longevity field and may move the FDA closer to accepting clinical trials that target mechanisms of aging rather than a specific named age-related condition. In the Q&A, we get to future plans for trials with other drugs that have high potential for aging and frequently ask questions about metformin in relation to biohacking itself. You can find the seminar summary and slides for this meeting and other Foresight Biotech and Health Extension Group sponsored by 100 plus capital strategy meetings at foresight.org. I want to make a few points. If you ask me, do I believe that metformin has at least nine different actions. The answer is that we all know that when you target one of those hallmarks, you affect others. And I think this is really the bottom line of geroscience. And that's why we're kind of fighting about what sirtuin do and what resveratrol do, because they, they seem to do everything. But the principle is if you take an old cell or organ or body and make them young, you're going to see improvement in all those hallmarks of aging. And I think that's the mechanism that's really happening. If you ask me what is the most important mechanism of action or what is the most important hallmark, we we try to say those four are more important than the others. But I, I don't know that for sure. But please know that when you really target aging, you'll get confused with the mechanism. Everybody said, no, it's not this, it's that, okay? Point one. Point two, uh, metformin has been there for 70 years or more. In fact, big one-eye, that is the father of metformin, that's the chemical that is extracted from the French lilac, has been used, there is therapeutical advantage that were noticed before modern medicine. And it was used mainly to prevent flu and Alzheimer's and, and malaria, I'm sorry. And during the process of using metformin mainly in Europe, it was also found that it lowers glucose in diabetic patients, and now it's an anti-diabetic drug. By the way, the effects on glucose might be independent or impartially independent from the effects on aging, okay? I, I can answer more questions about it later. But the point is that it's used for so many years that we understand all the safety issues of, of this drug. And it, it, it's still one of the safest drugs ever invented. It's generic and it's cheap, okay? So it's relevant because if people are going to tell us, you know, you're just 
working for rich people who just want to have this drug and live forever. Well, using metformin is one of those opportunities to say everybody can use it. It's not a burden on any healthcare provider. It's the cheapest drug in the market. You can get 900 pills for $40 from Mexico. It's called metformina and something like that from Canada too. Because of those reasons, we use metformin as a tool. And I'm saying it's a tool because all we have to do is repurpose a drug that is available, that is safe to show on principle that we can target aging and then delay a cluster of age-related uh, diseases. Everything that we're studied, we're clumping together in the TAME trial has been done pretty much in isolated trials, okay? So, for example, the DPP trial took non-diabetic people and gave them uh, metformin and showed a 30% decrease in the rate of diabetes over four years. In fact, the study had to be terminated early. So 30% decline in the onset of diabetes in this drug. By, by the way, it's not because they're taking anti-diabetic drug. When they, let, when they took out the drug and look at what happened a month or so later, they still were not diabetic. But that's a clinical study, okay? There's a, there are actually few arms in the DPP, but there's a placebo and there's a metformin. So that's intervention or clinical study. Another intervention study was the UKT PDS, where it showed that metformin, unlike insulin or other drugs, sulfonylurea, other drugs, decreased cardiovascular disease. By the way, it also decreased overall mortality by 36%. Not diabetes-related mortality, not cardiovascular uh, mortality only, but overall mortality by 36%. Next, their association studies. Okay, so their association studies are not as good as, as intervention studies. But if you have association studies, if you have 200 of them, and there are more that are all showing, you know, when you're in metformin, you have less cancers, and it's all cause of cancer. The only controversial one is prostate cancer. Okay, some said yes, some said no. But all the association studies show decreasing cancer. And this is in a diabetic population. There are clinical studies that are small and short and associations on MCI, okay, which is halfway to Alzheimer or risk for Alzheimer, mild cognitively impairment, and, and on Alzheimer studies that have shown significant decline with metformin, except some studies from the Far East. And I totally, I don't totally understand that, but it's really complicated because if metformin keeps you from dying, even if you have the disease, you kind of have to adjust for the life. In other words, more people with metformin are staying alive and getting to Alzheimer's. You know, I mean, it's the, the whole science when, when we're going to target aging, it's going to be very weird for us because we have to take into account the, ga the gain of uh, life that was the, the gain of years that we had. Anyhow, that's a side issue. And then the, the really very impressive data on almost 200,000 people from the UK where people looked into the pharmaceuticals and identified those 80,000 people who are newly uh, diabetics and on metformin, comparing them to other diabetes and non-diabetics. And basically the people with diabetes who were also more obese and had more diseases to start with and then diabetes had significantly lower mortality than people without diabetes. So when you have all those aging stuff and you take metformin, you still live longer than people without diabetes. So, so that was interesting. But all that just justify why we use it as a tool. And all those things are part of TAME. You know, the, the diabetes, although uh, not quite, but cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, um, mortality, cancers are all part of, of the construct of TAME or which diseases we're going to delay. So those were done. All we have to do it is together. So the point here is we 
are agnostic to the diseases, okay? We, we, don't, we don't care which diseases you had and which specific disease you're going to get because what we're targeting is aging, okay? We have no idea what will be your next disease, okay? If your mother is diabetic and you're obese, the next disease you're going to get is diabetes, okay? We don't know what disease you're going to get, but the geroscience hypothesis is whatever it is, we're going to move it away like we showed in all those preliminary data in, in, in lots of association and clinical studies. And, and the second thing, we're doing it in a, a little bit older population. And, and the challenge here is that we need to understand exactly the power and not overdo it. Okay, so for example, if we're going to give metformin and we're going to have significant result in cardiovascular disease and not in the other, even if they're trending, the FDA will say, okay, stop. We, can, we cannot go on with a study when there's so, some, so much benefit for a specific disease. You know, we have to stop the, the study and offer the people on placebo metformin, right? So it's very hard. It was very challenging to design a study where we have lots of events and we want to have all causes of those major age-related diseases, but we don't want to be significant in one of them because we want to do the geroscience part. Okay, so this is, this is part one. Part two is, I want to share the movie from Ron Howard's film, The Age of Aging, just that you all hear, okay, just you all hear what the FDA response was for the major work we've done and the meeting that we had with them. Arzali and his colleagues will try to convince the FDA to consider their study. In advance of their critical meeting, they gathered to prepare. We are here representing the field of the science of aging. And we think that this is a historical day for us because we're going to offer something that we believe is paradigm changing. I really want to frame the discussion today as what would we need to show in a clinical trial that would allow the FDA to approve a new indication for metformin for delaying multiple morbidities related to aging. Because we think metformin is the first one, but there are others that could be better than metformin, and we want to make sure that that's the template. We have that hypothesis that metformin is one of those rare opportunities where it might act in a general fashion. It's an attractive hypothesis. The trial is required to see if it's true. It started with a conceptual innovation that aging can be modified. Then years of work by a growing number of scientists in labs around the world and years of convincing people of their ideas. Maybe this is what a breakthrough looks like. If the FDA accepts that aging can be treated, the scientists believe it will forever transform healthcare and medicine. I don't think that there are too many interventions in history that would rival the type of intervention that we're talking about here. Influence almost everyone. As a matter of policy, the FDA does not allow cameras into official proceedings. But they did agree to an interview immediately following their meeting. We have lots of experience with claims to decrease the rate of heart attacks, to decrease the, uh, the degree of dementia, drugs that prevent strokes, drugs that uh, treat your diabetes. We have lots of experience with all that. But what's being sought and being talked about is a more broad claim to prevent a lot of the consequences of aging. So the question for us is, how do you show that? We gauge their willingness to accept the general approach of targeting aging, something that they said right off the bat, we've never done anything like this before, and they were very receptive. Their hope is that a wide variety of age-related problems you know, loss of muscle tone, dizziness, falling, dementia, loss of eyesight, all of those things, to do them all at once with a single treatment, that might make a convincing case that you're doing something beyond just treating the disease. That would, that would be something never done before. They didn't have any problem with the general approach. 
and I ask them specifically at the end, this is what I think I'm hearing. You don't have any problems with the general approach. And they basically said yes. So I don't think we could have had a better outcome. If you really are doing something to alter aging, the population of interest is everybody. It surely would be revolutionary if they can bring it off. There's no doubt about it. We always thought that the promised land is not in our reach. And I think that we are going to the promised land. From the horse's mouth, you heard that. The, the FDA said, bring it on. What I've been doing with colleagues, including George Cushel, if you know him, he's a great geriatrician, and, and Felipe, who you all know, is trying to see which other FDA-approved drugs can be used immediately in a clinical trial based on a geroscience-guided approach. We identified all the FDA-approved trials that also had at least one longevity testing. And we looked at all the preclinical data in animals and the lifespan data in animals to uh, assess the hallmarks and have a a geroscience understanding that those drugs are doing something that are geroscientific. And, And then look at all the human data in order to rank them, okay, if it was the next three studies, who, who would you study? And for the human studies, we looked at health span, meaning we looked at the effects of drugs beyond one disease, which were they're designed to, okay? Did they have effect on other age-related disease? And also on mortality. Did they have effect on mortality? Did they have effect on mortality that is not related to this specific disease? So we reviewed tons of papers, and you might be surprised. Number one, okay, is SGLT2 inhibitor. It's a a glucose transporter inhibitor that is really for the treatment of diabetes, but there's tons of literature that it prevents almost any (laughs) age-related disease. And it gets more points than metformin, Metformin had to add in the ITP didn't work, although it was additive to rapamycin. It increased lifespan in male by 10%, but not in one center. So it wasn't significant. So we didn't give the ITP point to uh, metformin. So the other drugs are rapamycin, acarbose, and ACE inhibitor. The senolytics one, we just don't have enough data to that. You know, many of those, we don't have enough data But without enough data, it's hard to make a convincing argument. But the idea is we have to come from geroscience, look at the clinical thing, and see what we can repurpose fast. This is the ITP result of the of canaglifazone, which is one of those drugs that increase lifespan more significantly in males than in, in females. Some of the clinical data where compared to placebo, it... It decreased death from cardiovascular or hospitalization cause from uh, renal causes and from death from any, any cause of mortality. And every class of this drug have basically shown the same thing. In fact, in New England Journal uh, Medicine, at the same issue, there were three studies by three different companies basically showing the same thing. If you didn't know about this drug, then I'm introducing you to this drug and telling you that we have to use all those data and think how creatively to show that there are several drugs like that and we should have several TAME-like studies. So we wear belt and suspenders and make sure that we are there in time for the biotechs to start targeting aging better. So so I'm stopping here for questions. Jamie, what is the one thing that I didn't mention that you think is important? Can you all hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. Sorry, everybody. I'm in the lab today, so I've got more masks. So Nir, I think, already mentioned a lot of really important things. There were a couple of questions just about, you know, sort of composition of an endpoint and individual versus looking at some kind of a composite. 
And I think in general, one of the important points is, you know, that, of course, individual diseases will be tracked and, you know, will be announced. But when we're looking at an FDA indication is that the composite outcome is really important, is that what we know and think about of aging is this larger kind of phenotype that can't be defined as any one disease or any one marker. And so I think for, you know, a pivotal first trial like TAME, is looking sort of larger and collective so that we can begin to define what this should be in the future is incredibly important and sort of make that data available for a larger community to use and develop. Terrific. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, if there's specific questions, I'm, I'm here as well. Yeah, if there's any other question that you can answer, don't be shy. I, I, I'm seeing a lot of those questions. And I'll tell you, we we decided to use 1,500 milligrams for a TAME study. Basically, you know, the argument was like, you know, it's for aging. Maybe we should use more. And then the argument that, are you kidding? Those are elderly people. You should use less, okay? And and we don't know. There was no dose response, so we don't know. And what we decided is to use the dose that was used by most of the clinical studies. And, and that's what led us to this decision. Okay, I have a variety of questions here. Um, if I go via upload first, then Carl would be first with this question. Then I think Martin had the first one. And then Aubrey's, I think, was uploaded via Carl. So Carl... Martin Aubrey. So my question is about sort of looking beyond TAME. If it fails and we all get disappointed, what are the prospects for the next better candidate treatment and getting it, you know, getting another trial going on that? And can we even get, you know, a second TAME style trial going before the full TAME trial has finished? Yeah. Look, um, for for me personally, and I'm saying personally because I'm an optimist, the guys are saying we have a six-year uh, trial, and I think, like I thought in the DPP, that four years will be an, enough. I don't have any expectation that, tame, that this is not going to work, okay? But I'm also just presented the fact that if we had enough money, <laughs> we should do more than a TAME uh, study. We should do some other drugs and maybe another TAME all over the world because we cannot fail in this study. That's part of the reason why we chose metformin. We cannot fail in this study. So I don't know what to tell you. Look, you, you know, there's the story of the two frogs that fell into a bucket of milk. And one of them was trying to figure what's going on and drowned. And the other one starts thrashing around and moving its arms and everything like that. And in the morning, the farmer came and saw a very tired frog sitting on a bucket of butter. Okay. I'm there. Okay. I'm very tired sitting on the bucket of butter. The tame should have been happened long ago, but I, I don't think it's going to, to fail. So I, I cannot bring myself to tell you what if. What if is that we need something to succeed. It's like unity failing with the uh, one of the senolytics. Well, it doesn't mean the senescent is not a target. It means that we need better drug, better approach, better indication, right? Okay, so then the optimistic version is, are you going to work during these six years on starting a new team with a different treatment in parallel with shepherding this one through? I'm trying to convince the new large foundations that are coming in to do several efforts. And I think that will modulate the risk. In particular, I think we'll get a lot of biomarkers from TAME, but some of the biomarkers might be metformin specific. So even for this reason, we need some other biomarkers. look satisfied okay great martin just a naive question following up on near you know you have all this data that there are positive effects which is great because then we can you know do stuff that we know will work and then make aging an indication as jamie also have it messaged me are people following up you know the, the unenlightened who who just care about cancer and just care about different diseases are they following up on this data human data for metformin and you know if so how and can you include 
you know, can you use that to support the, the TAME trial? And if not, do you have any idea um, why not? Well, the, the simple answer is no. Look, we are doing the clinical trial. We have to show we have to show that it works in a clinical trial. And I'm not selling metformin to anyone because it will kind of ruin the trial. What happened when Wall Street Journal first talked about this trial, I got in the next week 3,000 calls, email from people who wanted to volunteer to the study, okay? Wall Street Journal. And I thought, we're done recruiting for this study. And then I realized that so it's readers of Wall Street Journal, okay? So they have means. They can get to us. They know how to reach us. And, and they're not interested in the trial. They're interested in being on metformin. And in fact, there are several emails that said, I'm ready to volunteer for the trial as long as I'm not in the placebo, right? So I, I have to distance myself from people who are saying, why don't we take metformin? Not because I don't believe that, but because I don't. I want to have enough enough people out there in fourteen different centers that can be recruited. Not totally believing that I'm right, but it's worth testing, right? Yeah, I didn't mean um, sort of like just random people taking metformin. I meant, are there any sort of like oncologists who see, oh, metformin has an effect on cancer? Let's start a trial for metformin just for cancer. Yes, there there are people who are doing it. NIH has multiple uh, grants on metformin that are interesting because they are not only on prevention. In fact, that's the hardest thing to do, not only on prevention of cancer, but of treatment in cancer. I, I, I noticed in the last few weeks, I got emails from people with cancers who are doing uh, intermittent fasting and metformin before chemotherapy and things like that in order to kind of upregulate the aging part and fighting the, the cancer better, also for metastasis, okay? So there are studies like that. But remember, we're talking about metformin not for the treatment of diabetes or not for the treatment of cancer, but for the prevention of variety of age-related diseases. I think Jamie wanted to chime in. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, Nir answered it, is that that's correct. There are multiple studies going on right now. Multiple institutes within NIH are really interested in the study, and the FDA is certainly interested in metformin for individual diseases. TAME, is, as Nir said, is in no way designed to test metformin's effect in individual diseases. That's simply not the purpose of the trial, though it will be tracked. Okay, next one we have Aubrey. Hey, so yeah, my question is a bit similar to Carl's, but perhaps a little more focused. So I get asked about the TAME trial all the time, of course, and I want to really know whether I'm telling the truth or how close to the truth what I'm saying is when I talk about the impact of the TAME trial on other trials, even before it begins. Because what I like to try to argue is that now that the FDA has approved for the, for the TAM trial to be conducted, that any big pharma company who has a drug that they have on patent and they actually feel that it has broad-ranging age-related age effects, they can more or less just copy and paste the clinical endpoint that you guys negotiated with the FDA, and they're going to basically get their trial approved to be conducted as well. Now, I'm sure that that's an oversimplification, but I don't know how bad an oversimplification it is. So if you could speak to that. I, you know, it's fine for me. One of the missions of, of TAME was to have a template so that every pharmaceutical has kind of an idea of what is the design of a study to show you that. So with, with the FDA, we never mentioned the word metformin. We had two questions. One is, what, what do we call it? You know, what, 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 what is it? We said, we're going to target aging. They said, no, we, we, aging is not a disease. I said, so what is it? They said, okay, we're going to change a composite. We're going to move a composite of age-related disease. That's what we're going to call it. And it's fine for me. They can call it whatever they want. It's still going to be aging. The second part was to ask them, look, this is the study that we want to do. We don't want to get to the end of the study. And you'll say, no, you should have done something else, right? So 
so we got we got the feedback on that. It's interesting. They didn't want diabetes to have to be an endpoint, which shocked me because I'm a diabetologist. Okay, their claim is diabetes is a chemical indication, and uh, the complications happen in forty percent of the people ten years later. It's not as convincing as having a heart disease or Alzheimer or stroke or cancer. Okay, it's just interesting how the FDA thinks. So I think the template is really very important. And as far as I'm concerned, they should do it. In fact, what I'm busy doing, I'm trying, SGLT2 uh, trials have ended recently. I want to get a hand on their plasma and DNA of those people and, and look at their biomarkers. You know, we have one of the things of, of showing you those other drugs, if we can get to the people who did the clinical studies, and believe me, they store a lot of stuff. If we can get back and do a biomarker, we'll be in biomarkers ahead of the time and, and immediately. <laughs> so I had a second question, but Jamie's just answered it in the chat. So maybe Jamie could like just read it out. Sure. So Aubrey had, had a question about inclusion criteria, that we had a gate speed that was had a hard lower and upper limit for inclusion in the trial. And yet we just listed there that it was a history of other disease classes that would be considered later. And all of our event rate projections, I want to emphasize this and I can't emphasize it enough. Those were really based on gate speed projections out of the different trials and studies that we use. Is that gate speed criteria really was what was setting those projections, and that we actually ended up including history of those various diseases primarily for ease of recruitment, is that it eases some of the burden for entry and getting people in, and it had a lot less to do with whether or not they were going to experience an incident new disease. And we did not include gradations of those diseases for entry, primarily because of the burden that that would put on the recruitment centers, is that suddenly, if you're not just doing history, yes, no, you're having to do a lot of tests, and that costs money and time to do that in order to sort of gate people in and out based on those Really flexible criteria, whereas gate speech pretty simple, cost-effective, easy to do. Um, right, Jamie, and thanks. And uh, Aubrey, you saw Andrew Scott's uh, paper, right, on, on the longevity, oh, yeah. uh, longevity yeah. dividend. And actually, Ellison, I think th this would be a great, a, a great hour with Andrew Scott. Yeah, he's because... joining in, uh, I think, in a few weeks. Oh, okay, terrific. So we gave him all the tame calculations and he did in this study that showed that we're going to save 30% of the world GDP if we do TAME, <laughs> if, if, we, if we, we extend health span in 2.6 years or something like that. Really quite incredible. By the way, it's not about healthcare. For him, it's about, okay, you increase, you know, people are going to be healthier for 2.6 years more. So they're going to travel. They're going to have fun. They're going to contribute to the economy. It's going to be really great. So he did, he did the one about metformin. And we calculated that for every of every of our, our non-placebo, our metformin user, everybody of the 1,500, um, we save $80,000 in cost for the government, okay, over, let's say, six-year trials. So that means that the TAME trial itself is going to save over $120 million, and it's cost only $50 million. So it's a pretty good, even just the TAME study is going to have a millionaire's effect. And always reminds me of a, an early talk that Aubrey gave at a Fawcett event, I think four years ago, when he was saying, well, once people will uh, believe that they will live longer, then I think you have a snowball effect of, of the changes that they'll make and of the expectation of uh, their increased longevity, even furthering almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. There. It's the interest on the interest, right? Yeah. <laughs> it gets to be really big. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Okay, I think we had a few questions specifically about Metformin, but maybe before we get there, because we're still in the trials, Carl, do you want to ask your question? Can we use TAME, regardless of outcome, um, post hoc to establish a new surrogate biomarker stand-in for the TAME multimorbidity by having bank samples? And basically, even if somebody comes up with a new test after the seven years are completely over, do, will we have enough data and biological samples to be able to go to the FDA and say, look, this biomarker predicts the same multimorbidity that TAME used. We don't need to run a new seven-year trial to establish that surrogate endpoint. 
Exactly. I would just open with one thing. Part part of our challenge, Jamie's challenge in, in writing the NIH uh, biomarker protocol is we had to tell them if TAME fails, there's still a lot of data that can help us. Jamie, go on. Yeah, that's essentially it, is that that's one of the kind of the remarkable things about working on this is that we've been writing and trying to develop it as a no-fail trial, is that no matter what happens with the primary outcome, we've built in multiple safeguards and ways that these can be analyzed and used by the scientific community and those who are doing biomarker development, that we're going to gain so much out of just making and building the infrastructure and sort of, you know, the scaffolding for the framework of what this will be that it really is sort of a remarkable opportunity. And that absolutely, that's part of what we're hoping to do is to build in enough sample collection, enough assays, and try to get enough other people engaged in the trial that we can actually make sure that this is a fail-proof endeavor. And, and we really are working on this. I've actually built out tables of if primary outcome fails, we'll get. And I've been keeping track of all of these. And it's actually, it's, it's becoming really apparent that there's no matter what happens, is that this is going to be a, a really useful experience, not just for those running the trial, but for the rest of the community. Okay, thank you. Yoti, you had a quick question. I think that was piggybacking off something you said earlier. Yeah, hi. Hi, Nir. My question is, what kind of budget are we looking at? And the related question to that is, why are we focusing on the U.S., why can't it be a multi-centered international trial so that we can drive, drive down the cost? Uh, we're looking at the target, okay? And the target is the FDA, okay? And and that's how we do everything. There are other groups from all over the world that wanted to be a center in the TAME. There are actually maybe three centers in Australia that can be TAME, but they're not going to be considered by the FDA because they are uh, xenophobic, <laughs> you know? I know, because that's not how you do the trial, okay? So, we had to convince them that we have centers that are experienced in, in medicine, in geriatric medicine, that we can follow the protocols. One of the challenge, imagine we would be with an Australian center or a Singapore center. We could never meet at a certain time because they're exactly at the other side of the world, um, changing data, extend, extend, you know, getting DNA to do clocks, right? is not simple from place to place. So it was about how can we do this study and satisfy the FDA and not have it too complex. And the FDA is not going to believe anyone else, you know, if, if we did it. So it wasn't an option. As far as the prices, our initial grant was for $80 million over six years, which is Really, it's you know, it would be it would be much much more expensive. It's a billion dollar to do a, a trial with a new drug for aging. Okay, so it's really a cheap trial, but in the version that we have now, that is going to be paid probably by a foundation, we have a budget of about fifty million dollars because what we did, we took out the secondary endpoints that Jamie talked about last time because we tried we tried to make it cheaper and we tried to make it focus on the FDA we're still hoping to get the NIH to do the biomarkers and we still hope to have the secondary endpoint the study is power such that it's true that we want to see before and after what happens in individual but the groups are large enough so at the end of the study we can figure out lots of other things that are happening without doing the longitudinal study. So we, we have enough power no matter what, and we're trying to be uh, cost effective so that people will bite into this ID. Okay, is that okay, Jota? Uh, yeah. Just one additional point. What is the major stumbling block right now? Is it the money or is it the approval? Well, first of all, and I, I meant to say to Aubrey, Aubrey, the FDA doesn't have to approve any study, okay? They don't approve TAME, okay? You consult with the FDA, you can do whatever study they, they want. At the end, they're going to discuss the result of this study. So there's no rate limiting here. We're done with the FDA. The rate limiting was the funding. 
And on top of that, and the funding could have been before, on top of that is COVID. Even if we had the money today, I'm not sure when will be the right time to start. Yeah, we could not start it right now. With yeah, COVID. We could not start it right now, <laughs> uh, no matter what. So that was uh, somewhat of a luck not to have a tame study in the middle of COVID. Uh, and, and by the way, who knows? Because there is another paper, 10th paper, now from China that shows that mortality for people on metformin was 50% if they have COVID. That's one of the worst because they're, they're too, uh, reduction in 66% also. Maybe it would be interesting, but COVID would have been really, we would have to stop a lot of the things and a lot of the services. Thank you, Nir. Thank you, Jamie. I want to make actually one really quick point. She asked about international trials and the opportunity for, for TAME to spread <laughs> into, in, globally. Nir is absolutely right that the trial itself needs to be contained for all the reasons that he mentioned. I would feel bad if I didn't mention that we really are encouraging for other folks who are interested in running either parallel trials that would not be really included with TAME, but that could, could be coupled, whether they're run in different countries. We've had some inquiries around that or in specialty subpopulations. There's been some interest of folks, perhaps like with HIV and aging or other groups, that they're not necessarily going to be included within the TAME trial or won't be recruiting enough, is that we absolutely are encouraging that once TAME gets going, please reach out to us if you're in either a different different country, other folks, or working with specialty subpopulations that you might be interested in maybe running a parallel or a sister study that could be linked. Right. I think uh, people who are cancer survivors can have a TAME trial. I think HIV people can be a TAME trial. Uh, disabled people can be a ter- uh, tame trial, maybe poor people who cannot afford good quality food or to exercise or gym, maybe metformin for them. They're dying actually the highest rate in the United States. So I totally agree. There's a need for many people for a metformin trial. Okay, thank you. We are now, I think, circling in with John Ferber's question on metformin that got uploaded earlier. Hi, Nir and Jamie. Can you hear me okay? Hi, John. Hi. I frequently hear from exercise enthusiasts that metformin will either interfere with the benefits of exercise in general or muscle building from resistance exercise. And I wanted to get the knowledge from the experts. Is this true? And if it is, would it make a difference if I exercised in the morning and took metformin later in the day? Thanks for the question. I, uh, I should have anticipated. I guess I, I did anticipate that, but I, I, I think I published recently in Aging the definitive trial. So, uh, j- just to recap, um, in in clinical trial where elderly were exercised with and without metformin, metformin prevented the, the uh, muscle mass went up in all the studies, but significantly less with metformin. Okay, if you read the studies, they're showing you MRI data and muscle and this and that. But in supplement four in the study, they actually show that the force didn't change. Okay, the function of the muscle didn't change. So if they have less muscle and the function of the muscle didn't change, it means that for gram muscle, okay, the muscle was better. Okay, so. I looked at it. I, I took the muscle from those trials because they had muscle biopsies. And we did a transcriptome and we basically saw the following thing. To get hypertrophy, you have to activate mTOR. And remember, when you activate mTOR, it's not good for aging. Okay. So the muscle growth was associated with mTOR, which meant metformin blunted because that's part of what metformin does. On the other hand, people on metformin had transcript that was a protective transcript for aging with genes for autophagy, against inflammation, some, uh, some, some other things. So there was a trade-off. And for me, and by the way, I'm exercising and I'm on metformin. For me, it's not important to bulge my muscle, okay? <laughs> for me, it's more about aging. So if you want to show muscles, don't take metformin. But <laughs> I think metformin protects your muscle from the aging effects. And so if I were you, I would say do it together. And 
the the question of timing it depends look i'm on extended release so uh, <laughs> so it's not that i have an effect and i'm i'm also exercising sometimes in the morning sometimes in the evening i'm just happy with what i proved myself and published <laughs> so thank you thank you next one up we have uh, spring yeah, thanks. I was wondering if you can speak to the age range that that was selected in the trial, which, of course, makes sense that you selected older individuals, 65 to 80. But I wonder specifically if in the prior trials, particularly that you mentioned with metformin, if if the population had been segmented by age and if we expect to see similar benefits on health span, if we're thinking about it in that way. That's terrific. That's a terrific question. And Jamie, I'll do some provocations and you follow that. So the the major reason we went to this age, based on the fact that the geroscience hypothesis is still applying it in elderly, is that we needed to find an age where there are enough events in the five years, six years. Okay. If you get if you start with 50 years old or 40 years old, you can wait 20 years until you have all those events that you're monitoring. So we needed a lot of events and we have a lot of events between 65 and 80 where elderly are starting to accumulating them, okay? So that's the main reason. Why we're saying it's going to work there because for example, in the DPP, the 20% of the DPP, the diabetes prevention trial was paid by the National Institute of Age in order to include 20% of the people over the age of 65. By the way, they failed. They had 20% over the age of 60, but still we have, and, and they didn't have different results than others. We have from this study and other studies clear. There were some discussions along the way about possibly having different age ranges for men versus women, whether that would affect. Examples that metformin effect is not blunted uh, with aging. We also did studies and, and we published them in last years where we took elderly people and gave them metformin and did biopsies to see what transcripts is changed with metformin. But by the way, the exercise was in 75-year-old, and we have data on 75-year-old, and there's a marked change in metformin on the biology of aging. So we think it's it's relevant. Jamie. You know, I have very little to add. Nir described that beautifully. Um, you know, there were some discussions along the event accumulation you know, we, we had eventually decided that it wasn't worth the challenge of recruitment to do that. And so we ended up keeping it simple, but certainly looking at different age ranges when we've talked to other groups who are interested in those really special subpopulations like HIV and aging or others, that that could potentially be worth consideration as revisiting for special subpopulations if there's going to be a change in age range. But that doesn't apply to the TAME trial. You know, the TAME trial, it, it's for simplicity and to move forward, is that that really was based on feasibility and, you know, something that would be fairly easy to define and going for FDA indication on the back end as well. Thanks. Okay. Well, we have two more minutes. Nia, do you remember broadly the challenge that you submitted to me before the call when I asked you to submit a health extension challenge? Oh, I gave you I gave you a lot of them. I think that the differences between aging of men and women is incredible. It's actually it's male and female mice also is incredible. And I think we have to have a better handle of that because certainly it can apply to gerotherapeutics. I would say that we have no evidence that metformin or GLP two inhibitors have a specific role in male and female. But I would also say that sometimes you adjust for male, you adjust for female, and it doesn't change much, but that's not as as much as to do the initial assessment in male and female and see the differences. So I didn't want to uh, forget that, but I think it's probably not relevant for, for metformin. And then I was just talking about doing a, more tame-like study and making more significant advance in uh, targeting aging and, and uh, increasing health span. Lovely. Do you have time for one more question? We have one more in the chat. Sure. Yeah? Okay, great. Lovely. Thanks. Keith. Uh, sure. Hey, again, here. 
Um, this is a, a follow-up of a previous question, but you had mentioned here that a certain endpoints in data collection was pared down on this to keep things simple for the FDA or keep the budget streamlined, and that this is mitigated by having enough statistical power to do analysis after the trial. That being said, certain kinds of physiological longitudinal data, like the six-minute walk test, are essentially free and easy to collect using Apple's health kit. It doesn't just collect pedometry data. It does like the six-minute walk test and everything. Can those sort of things be added without, you know, disrupting the budget or, or anything easily? Or is that still uh, too difficult to add in to the team protocol? Jamie. Yeah, I would love to add functional measures back in. I, I would love to see it back included. And we're really, as soon as we get launched, reach out to us. I mean, that's is the way that we've structured our team is so that we can try to include as much as we feasibly can and try to work out plans to trying to expand is that we have sort of a minimal team that's going to get launched and started, but we welcome your ideas and opportunities. And especially for function, I would love to see that going back in if there's any way that we could afford it or, re or include it again. Yeah. Well, one point of context there is when I've talked to people in the NIH, et cetera, I, I feel like there's a disconnect there where I don't think they understand how easy and cheap it really is to collect. I think they're thinking that maybe these things are just pedometer, pedometers and you'd still have to have a doctor walk them through. Like, no, the whole six minute walk test is like prefabbed in here, <laughs> you know, so maybe, yeah, you know, if well, there's any, any conversations to be had there, let me know if there's anything I can do to talk to someone and convince them that this is way easier than they think right. and cheaper. Just remember that we have centers all over the United States. Generally, the people that will be in the studies are less informed. I don't think that many of those people will come because they heard something on metformin. They will advertise that there's a drug that might have health benefits because we also don't want them to lose the placebo effect. And those people also don't have access or knowledge or use the technology. So we need to do some of it ourselves, no matter what, probably. But I agree with Jamie, if we could put back the other $20 million, we're talking about, you know, 2 million, 3 million more a year, it'll be good to have the longitudinal one. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Foresight Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date or visit foresight.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>